Good morning, City Church. Welcome to church today. I am so glad that you are with us today. Uh, this might be a little bit weird for you. I am uh, actually this week out of town, and we really wanted to start a new series today called The Secret Life of Giants. We're going to be studying the book of Philippians. And so um, what we decided to do is in both of our locations, we're going to be uh, video this today. This is the first time we've ever done this. And so give us some grace if there's some hiccups. I think God is going to give a great word to you today, though. I really feel like God's going to speak to you in a powerful way. I wanted to start today uh, just with a little testimony of last week. God did some incredible stuff on Easter Sunday. Speaking to Thomas was the theme that we kind of carried through Easter Sunday. And it was awesome. 837 people came to church. I mean, this is just a miracle. You can clap out loud for that if you'd like. That's, uh, that's just wild. Um, at two and a half years, God has uh, grown this community exponentially, and it has been exciting. And, you know, we don't take any glory for that. We just say, Jesus, be glorified. Let more people hear about you and more people experience you. So, um, if this is your first time here, just welcome. My name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm glad that you're with us today. Don't get freaked out by the video. I will be back in town next week, but, uh, but this week out of town, I wanted to start this. And I thought I'd just start you off with some action, okay? So why don't you take two minutes right now, and this might be awkward for you if you're new, but find somebody near you and take two minutes just to pray for them and bless them. Ask that God would speak to them today through this video and that God would speak to them today through the book of Philippians. Go ahead and take two minutes right now to turn to somebody, put your hand on their shoulder and say, God bless them, Lord, move in their life. Go ahead. Take that two minutes right now. Thank you, Lord. Bless my brother. Bless my sister. Thank you, Jesus. Bless them today, God. Thank you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Book of Philippians. I believe God is going to speak to you. We're going to walk through this over the next eight weeks verse by verse. And so um, I want to give you a little history today, a little history lesson as we start the book of Philippians. So I know you love history, so just stay with me, okay? 365 years before Jesus ever walked the earth, 365 years before Jesus ever walked over it, there was a great conqueror, right, in this area of Greece and the Middle East, all around this area, known as Philip of Macedon, okay, the father of Alexander the Great, and he conquered this particular region of Greece known as Macedonia and started a city, which there was already a city there, but he renamed it and built it out and called it Philippi in his own name, okay? And so uh, he builds the city and it becomes pretty well known. It had uh, a number of great mines where they would find gold and other precious metals. And so it became a strategic location for wealth and building wealth. Now, fast forward a few years, Octavian, the, the, the uh, future ruler of Rome, later became Caesar Augustus, conquers this area. Some of the great battles for Rome were fought right here on Philippi in this area of the city. And uh, he conquers this area and ends up using it mostly as a place to send former vets, people that were fighting in his army, send them for relaxation, send them for retirement. And so this community of Philippi is a Greek community, has some Jews that fill this city. And then you've got these Romans coming in and establishing their roots, living there, building their life there. And so it's a diverse city. It's a wild city. It grows, it builds, it becomes one of the most strategic locations in all of Europe and in Greece. And so uh, this is the city that this letter is written to. Now, we're not quite historically to the place where the letter is written yet. So now fast forward to 49 AD, okay? 
just a few years after Jesus is risen from the dead, probably about 15, 16 years after Jesus rises from the dead, the Apostle Paul is called out of Israel into the Gentile lands, okay? And so he's walking through these Gentile lands where people have never heard of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's out there beginning to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. He has an encounter with God where God tells him to go to Macedonia. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard of the Macedonian vision. And so he has this encounter with God where he feels that God's called him to go to Macedonia. He goes there, he finds a few Jewish women, shares Jesus with them, they become Christians, okay? And so He's now established a little tiny base. In the midst of this, there's a girl possessed by a demon that starts annoying Paul. You can read about it in the book of Acts. He casts the demon out of this girl and it starts a riot in the city of Philippi. He gets arrested and thrown in prison with his homeboy Silas. And so now Paul and Silas are stuck in prison uh, for you know a crime that they didn't even really do anything. They just cast the demon out of a girl, but it started a riot. Everything's going nuts and they find themselves in prison. What do they decide to do? They decide to sing. And so at midnight, these two guys are singing their guts out to God. We love you, Jesus. Just like we just did at City Church today, just singing your hearts out. They're singing about Jesus and a miracle happens. God breaks the chains off of their arms and they're set free. They end up leading the jailer to Christ. Okay. They lead the jailer to Christ. And then after they lead the jailer to Christ, uh, they somewhere in the midst of that time establish the first church in Philippi. And so right there in Philippi, you've got a jailer, you've got some wealthy Jewish women, you probably have some slaves. And so you've got a pretty diverse little crew, you know, building up there. And this is the church of Philippi. Now, this church experienced some persecution right away. It experienced some persecution because, uh, you know, this was a very nationalistic area where um, people were passionate about Caesar, who at that time was Nero. And so they would say things like, Nero is Savior and Lord. And of course, the Christians wouldn't repeat those phrases. They would say, no, no, actually, um, Jesus is Savior and Lord. And because of this, persecution started to grow in Philippi. One more time, we fast forward to 61 AD, all right? 61 AD, the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome. And uh, he's suffering and the Philippian church who loved the Apostle Paul deeply sends a man by the name of Epaphroditus to uh, give an offering to Paul. And so he shows up, he gives some money to Paul and Paul is thankful. And over these years, Paul's developed a deep, intimate relationship with these people in the church of Philippi. And so he writes them a letter both to thank them for the gift they gave and to encourage them about how to walk with God. And so what we see here The Apostle Paul, probably the greatest giant in the Christian faith, speaks to the people of Philippi with, uh, you know, a casual friendship that we don't always see in the other letters. And so uh, he's kind of guard down, Paul in his pajamas, you know, just talking to people he loves and trusts about the king and the savior that he follows. And so this is the perspective we see. The secret life of this spiritual giant becomes real in a whole new way. And so if you have a Bible, go to Philippians chapter one, Philippians chapter one, we're going to read the first 11 verses. I'm going to read them quickly and then we'll walk through them a little slower today. Philippians chapter one, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Here we go. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are 
at Philippi with overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you'd like to take notes, today's talk is called Introductions and Invitations. Introductions and Invitations. Let's take a second to pray and ask God to speak to us. God, right now today, as we study this book of the Philippians, thank you that this book was written 2,000 years ago to a specific people at a specific time in a specific location, and it also has specific implications for us today. Thank you that we can learn from this, that we can be transformed, and that we can become giants in the faith for Christ, followers of Jesus, wholeheartedly committed to Christ. I pray that you open up our eyes today to see Jesus, open up our ears to hear Jesus in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. All right. Uh, one more little mental picture. I want to paint an analogy for you throughout the, this talk. Um, go back with me in your mind, a little imagination time, 200 years. All right. 200 years to 1814. All right. So now it's, it's 1814. Life is a little bit different. 80% of America was working on a farm at that time. And uh, you were probably building your own house making your own clothing, and growing your own food. So slightly different than today. Now over the next hundred years, something fundamentally changes in American culture. And it's built around this one discovery and harnessing of something today we call electricity. Electricity is discovered and harnessed. People had known about it for generations, but now the power of electricity is harnessed. And within a hundred years, railroads are built, machineries developed, light bulbs light up houses, medical equipment changes medical science forever, computers are invented, telephones are invented. And this new phenomena of electricity, something that was always there, but now was maximized or harnessed for the good of humanity, now it's changed the entire world, right? So from 1814 to 2014, all of life in 200 years has been transformed by the reality of electricity. It's been redefined. A new way of living is developed. A new way of living so much so that you probably didn't build your own house. And I can guarantee you didn't make the clothes you're wearing today. And uh, most likely you didn't grow the food that you ate this morning, right? And so all aspects of what we do every day has changed. It's shifted. Look at verse one with me. Look at verse one, because let me use that as a picture today that the gospel of Jesus has had this same type of seismic impact on every aspect of how we do life. And the apostle Paul is going to start to model that for us in verse one, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus. Now that's a radical idea servants of Christ Jesus. How could Paul call himself just simply a servant? He started the church. He was the hotshot. He was the big dog. He was the guy that people looked to to be the leader. But there's been a fundamental shift in how leadership works because now the greatest leader was Jesus and his model was servanthood. So Paul calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus, a complete paradigm shift. 
He's saying, you know what? You know, leaders used to boast them of themselves and build themselves up. But you know what? The reality is that um, that wasn't true leadership. Today, the lights are on and a new perspective of leadership has developed. And then he says um, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus. And so he's now calling all these guys, former pagans, former Roman soldiers, probably killed people, probably did all types of craziness. He's now calling these people saints. How can he call them saints? Because there has been a shift in the way God interacts with people. And he outlines it in his introduction in verse two. Grace to you. Oh, I love that phrase. Grace to you. Come on, turn to somebody next to him and say, just say grace to you. They need to hear it today. Look them in the eye. Grace to you. Go ahead. Every location. Grace to you. Yeah. Grace to you. And peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think that the Apostle Paul in that little phrase outlines his entire theology that God interacts with you based on grace, not what you deserve, but what he gives freely in Christ grace to you. What's the result of grace? What's the benefit of grace? Shalom, peace. See, the Hebrews had this idea for a long time, nothing lacking, nothing missing. Shalom, peace, grace to you and peace. Well, what kind of God is he? Is he a distant, angry judge? Is he a cruel, you know, uh, bitter Lord? Grace to you and peace from God, our father, God, our father, God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has become our king. God interacts with us based upon intimate family relationships. See, For generations, people saw glimmers of this. People saw glimpses of it, little sparks. For generations, people knew the electricity was there, uh, but they didn't know how to actually access the electricity. They knew that the power was there. See, the Jews saw this in the Old Testament. They saw God. Maybe he's our father. They saw grace and they said, maybe we're supposed to interact with God based upon not our merit, but his goodness. And and they, they struggled with it. They had ideas about it, but they never actualized it. Now Paul is saying, hey, the lights are on. The fundamental way that we interact with God has changed. We can see now, and now we see that leaders are actually servants, that sinners are transformed into saints, that works are replaced by grace, that war between us and God has been, has been transformed now into peace, that the judge is also our father. And so he calls later, he says that we are partakers with him. He says the Philippians are partakers with him in this grace. See, Abraham caught a glimmer of grace. Moses and David saw sparks of grace. These giants in the faith understood that they could interact with God in a way that was based upon God's goodness rather than their worthiness. But now in Jesus, the lights have been turned on and an invitation has been mailed out to all people, not just the giants in the faith, not just the Abrahams and the Moses, you and me, normal human beings, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, Everyone has an opportunity, an invitation into this interaction with God called godliness, where he transforms us into his image, where he's no longer untouchable, where no longer are we separated, where there's an elite group of believers and there's the rest of us. Now, each of us has an invitation to grace. You are invited into the adventure of godliness. We're only on verse two. You are invited into the adventure of godliness. See, what the apostle's saying here is for a long time, people interacted with God based upon law, based upon works, where they thought they needed to do enough to make God like them. But now in Christ, the work is finished. 
He died on the cross to be a substitute for your sins. All your sins washed away. You're accepted in him. Now you can become more like God based on the foundation of the cross and grace. Invitations. Introduction. So what I want to do today is just give you kind of like an appetizer. You know, if you get like you go to a restaurant, you get an appetizer and you can have like a bunch of same like little things on the same plate, you know, so a little taste of this, a little taste of that, you know, a little bit of each. Or maybe you go to the movies and you see a little preview of a movie where it's 30 seconds and you kind of get a glimpse of what the movie's going to be about. Today, we just want to give you a glimpse, okay? Like a flyover view of this beautiful new mindset found in Christ, grace to you and peace, a beautiful view of the secret life of giants, what Paul understood fundamentally about his interaction with God. And if you just catch a glimpse of it today, it's going to make you so hungry for the main course that you'll come back and bring every single friend you have over the next eight weeks. So go to verse three with me. Check it out. Verse three. Here we go. We're going to get into a little bit of the meat. But like I said, we're just going to fly fast here today. Verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Right. So it's verse three and verse four. Just notice there that uh, he's praying with joy. Okay, that's a little strange since he's sitting in prison in Rome. Probably not the nicest accommodations. Not like today where you got a flat screen TV and a basketball court. Okay, that wasn't prison back then. Okay, this was tough living. And so the apostle Paul somehow is filled with joy. You'll see throughout the course of this book, this word joy and rejoice just keep coming up because he's got an external source. And so he's filled with joy. Verse five, check it out. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, verse six, and I am sure of this, I am sure of this, that you began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure literally the Greek there is I am persuaded. I am persuaded that God will see you through, that God is not going to leave you. He's not going to abandon you, that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. Do you ever consider that every single fear that you struggle with, every fear you struggle with is unbelief in the faithfulness of God? No, just not every. Yeah, every fear deep down is an unbelief that God will be faithful to you. Think about the, th- the fears you struggle with. You know, what if we what if we can't pay our bills? What if we lose our house? You know, uh, what if there's an unexpected tragedy? What if I have a disease, right? All these different fears that mess with your head. They mess with your head. Come on, be honest. They mess with your head. They kind of get inside you and they kind of torment you. What's the what if that torments you? What's the what if that kind of messes with your mind? Think about it for a second. What if this? What if that? See, before electricity, um, the nighttime was a terrifying time. It was a terrifying time because uh, it was completely dark and humanity had no control to stop it. I mean, sure, we could get a flame going or a fire, but it didn't really illuminate an area. And so nighttime was scary. Nighttime was a time where you didn't know what was going to happen. Crimes would be committed at night, right? And so it was a dark time, a scary time. But we live in a new day. We live in a time where the electricity has illuminated the night sky. And we can actually, instead of being influenced by the night, push back the night, right? I want to give you some characteristics today of this new perspective. We're just going to glance at them and I want to just make you hungry to see life from a new perspective in Christ, to change the way that you think about faith and religion. The first characteristic of this new mindset I want to hit you with is what I call unshakable security. Unshakable security. Why is it unshakable? Well, the apostle Paul gives us a glimpse here. 
where he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to see it to its completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What's he saying there? First of all, he's saying that my confidence is grounded in God's faithfulness, right? It's unshakable because it has nothing to do with how faithful people are. It has everything to do with he who began a good work in you. And the faithfulness of God has forever been proven in the cross of Christ. And so I'm confident that God will be faithful because he's revealed it in Jesus. It also is unshakable because he has a wider view of reality. It's not just this life that I see. My peripheral vision has expanded and I can see that life goes beyond this life. And so because life goes beyond this life, I'm sure of it. There will be a day where Christ makes injustices right. And I can trust in that day that is ahead. And so my confidence is unshakable. So grace to you because I'm sure of God's faithfulness. Check out verse seven. We're flying fast today. Unshakable security. It's a benefit as you begin to internalize the truth of the gospel. Verse seven. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse eight. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Don't you know human love has limits? Turn to somebody and just tell them human love has limits. Human love has limits. It's true, right? Human love has limits. I mean, you know, we try hard to love people, but sometimes it's just difficult. Let me just stick with my analogy for a second. Before electricity, uh, how did people, you know, heat their house? Well, they would use fire, or if they had to light up their house, they would use oil. Check this out. So follow the analogy today. God's going to open up a door for you in your mind. See, so what I'm saying is, you know, in order to keep your house lit up, You needed to keep oil in your house, right? Well, what happens when your little lamp of oil runs out? Well, you're out. You're out. Well, what happens if your stock of firewood runs out? Well, fire's going out. See, you are dependent upon your own supply, right? But today, we've got power lines that pipe power into the home so you can turn that light on and you have an external supply, right? You have a supply that has nothing to do with what you built up. It's an external source and it's limitless. And so you can turn that power on and it will go and go and go because there are massive generators that are producing power that will, for as long as you'll be alive, pump electricity into your home. See, the second characteristic of the new mindset The way that Paul lived, the secret life of giants, he had this unshakable security because it was based in Christ. But he also had what I would call imported love, imported love. And so the love of Christ, did you notice that he said that he loves them? He yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so Paul understood that my love is going to be limited, but I get inside of my heart the love of Christ. And that love loves me so well that it fills my bucket of need to overflow. And then out of that overflow, I can start to love you, Church of Philippi. And so it spills over and I love others. Imported love. You need some imported love, don't you? You need some imported love. What I'm telling you is as we unpack this over the next eight weeks, you're going to see this life model that the Apostle Paul models for us and articulates for us to his friends in Philippi. And you're going to see that you can actually live with imported love, with love imported into your heart by the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's keep moving. Let's go to uh, verse nine here. Check it out. Verse nine. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment 
so that you may approve what is excellent. This is verse 10. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I want to read that verse 10 in the Amplified Translation of the Bible. It'll be up on the screen. Just follow along. It's probably be different than your Bible, but uh, it just kind of blows the verse out. The Amplified Bible just shows us all the nuance and in, the, uh, in the verse. So read it with me today. Verse 10. So that you may surely learn and sense what is vital. In other words, you know, Paul wants their knowledge and their love to abound so that you may surely learn and sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and the best and distinguishing the moral differences and that you may be untainted and pure, unerring and blameless so that with hearts sincere and certain and unsullied, you may approach the day of Christ, not stumbling nor causing others to stumble. I love that little phrase that you may sense what is vital, Sense what is vital. See, the third characteristic that Paul quickly gives us in this introduction and invitation. So he talks about unshakable security, right? He gives us this glimpse of unshakable security. He gives us this idea of imported love, loving with the affections of Christ Jesus. But then he hits us with this other idea. I call it the vital sense. The vital sense, the third characteristic of this new mindset in Christ. The vital sense. What do I mean by that? The vital sense, in other words, you have the ability to discern what's important, what's most important, what's highest and what's best. As you mature in Christ, what happens is you start to be able to discern this is most important. This is highest. This is best. Illustration. Thomas Edison, well-known inventor, invented thousands and thousands of inventions, tens of thousands that he'd worked on, all different projects. But he gave himself hours and hours and hours and even years and years and years to one specific project of which he is most well-known right? The light bulb. And so he hadn't actually invented the light bulb. Others had invented it, but theirs wasn't long-term. It didn't last long enough. It wasn't useful and it couldn't light up the average person's home. And so Edison knew if I could just invent the light bulb, I could change the world. And so he spent years and hours inventing this light bulb because he knew that it was most important, the vital sense. What I mean by that is you discern what is vital. And I see Christians in immaturity mess this one up all the time. So we're navigating life and you're not obsessed with your new business or you're not obsessed with your new comfort or you're not obsessed with this entertainment or this music or this clothing. All those things are good, but you have this sense of what is vital. And so you're able as a mature believer in Christ to enjoy those things, but always Target your life around the gospel, around eternity, around people meeting Christ, around the things of God, around the purposes of God. Your obsession is loving people, sharing Jesus. This is the vital sense of eternity beating in your heart. So Paul is saying, listen, this new mindset, the secret life of giants, it's made up of the stuff of unshakable joy because it's built on unshakable, excuse me, security because it's built on the confidence of God. It's made up of imported love that flows through you and out of you so that you can love others beyond your own means. It's made up of this internal sense from the Holy Spirit that gives you discernment to know what's important in life and what's worth investing yourself in. Verse 11. Remember, these are just previews, sneak previews. These are just glimpses of where we're going to go. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is probably the greatest misunderstanding in religion. Maybe you're new to Christianity. I, I challenge you, hear these words right now because this will lay a foundation that will change the rest of your life. Maybe you're new to this idea of faith. 
The do-better mindset infiltrates humanity on every sphere of religious experience. Do better. You know, God's angry at you for doing this. God's angry at you for doing that. You should do better. God's angry at you for doing this. God's frustrated with you for doing that. You should do better. You should do better. You can do better. Do better. Do better. Tell somebody, do better. Do better. Yeah, it's natural. That's how we do things. I, I talk to followers of Jesus, especially new followers of Jesus all the time. They say, well, I'm just going to do better. I'm going to do better. Well, good luck with that. Because the truth is, um, you don't have the capacity inwardly to do better in your own merit. If you had, you wouldn't need God. See, the secret of Jesus is that righteousness, the verse said, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The fourth characteristic I want to hit today briefly, fly over. The mindset of the secret life of giants. How the giants in the faith thought about things is what I call righteousness from righteousness. Righteousness from righteousness. See, the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross so that he could impute his righteousness, declare it as yours, not because you deserve it, but because you've believed. And so he gives you his righteousness. He gives you the righteousness of the Son of God. And that righteousness changes your identity. Now, what's the fruit of that righteousness? How do you know that you've received it? Guess what flows out of you? Righteousness. Righteousness from righteousness. In other words, the imputed righteousness of Christ leads to my behavioral righteousness. So now I become more and more and more like God every day because first of what he's done for me and what he's done in me, declaring me righteous and out of a new identity, I'm able to actually appropriate the things that I wanted to do but could not do on my own. What I'm giving you today is in just broad strokes, a glimpse of a better way of thinking about faith, a better way of doing life. See, your interactions with God need a foundation. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here to the Philippians as he opens up this letter is he says, listen, I'm going to give you, my friends, the church in Philippi, who I deeply love, an invitation and an introduction into a greater way of doing life, a way that the secret life of giants have always understood that these individuals throughout history have interacted with God in an intimate and unique way because they caught an understanding of how God desired to interact with them. You ever been to Lancaster, Pennsylvania? We'll end with this today. Ever been to Lancaster, Pennsylvania? It's a fun place to go. Uh, we have some friends that live down there right in Lancaster and uh, we've been a number of times to visit them and it's a good time, but it won't take you long until you uh, pass a horse and buggy on the side of the road, right? And you know why. It's, um, it's because the Amish live in Lancaster. Wonderful people, very nice. This isn't a critique of the Amish. I'm just using this by illustration, okay? Many of them love Jesus. Lord bless them. But, uh, you know, you'll be down in Lancaster if you go and you'll see a little, little horse and buggy go by. And uh, you learn a little bit about the Amish. You can know that they have chosen to ignore many of the advances of technology to cling to an old way of life, right? And so I remember uh, years ago, I was watching this, this Amish man plow a field with a horse and a you know, piece of equipment, none of it uh, mechanical. And he's out there plowing the field and he's just sweating. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching him, it shouldn't take that long. We have other things that have been invented that could do that job in two minutes. 
You know, I remember um, one day we were driving through Lancaster and we pass this horse and buggy on the road. And I'm thinking to myself, you have one horsepower. I have 200 horsepower with air conditioning and the radio. And why would you sit? It probably costs you more money to keep that one horsepower going than it costs me to keep this 200 horsepower going. Why would you spend so much and get so little? Why would you ignore the new way of living and cling to an old way that's obsolete? And many of us have thought that probably and even marveled at the Amish people. God bless them. But it's interesting to me. Look at me just for a second as we wrap up today. That you do the same thing. You say, "Uh, no, I don't. I don't wear those hats and I don't ride in those carts. No, you do the same thing in the spirit. You do the same thing in the spirit because by nature... We human beings love the law. By nature, we love to justify ourselves before God. But the law is an obsolete way of interacting with God. Who are you getting at now? Introduction and invitation. Paul is saying, let me give you an introduction to a new way of living, to a new way of doing faith. See, the law will say, you're not good enough for God. But grace says, God is more than enough for you. The law says, do better and God will love you. But grace says that realizing God's love is actually the power to do better. The law says, I'm holy because I'm good. But grace says, I'm holy because he's good. See, the law says, uh, God's probably angry at me right now. But grace says, God views me through the blood of Jesus. The law leads to fear and insecurity. Grace leads to assurance, identity, and shalom. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at me just for a second. Why are you trying so hard to please God when you will please Him best If you trust his grace and in trusting his grace, his imputed righteousness will empower you to actually live righteous day to day. Just a quick flyover today. You can have unshakable security if it's based in the gospel. Interestingly enough, the book of Philippians, more than any of Paul's letters, he mentions that word, the gospel, the good news. If you've been around City Church, you know we talk a lot about it. You can have unshakable security in the gospel. You can live from imported love through the gospel where the love of Christ fills you to the degree that you're able to love others beyond natural means. You can develop a vital sense, a discernment of what's most important through the gospel. And you can live in righteousness from righteousness through the gospel. Romans chapter 6 says it like this. Sin will have no power over you Because you're not under law, you're under grace. Discover who you are, and it will give you the power to live a godly life. This is your introduction. This is your invitation. Grace to you and peace. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this great letter written thousands of years ago that has so much application today. Thank you, God, that you're speaking specifically to each of us in a unique way. 
And um, at both locations, as we partake in communion in just a minute, um, we pray that, uh, God, you would be with us in this moment and that this act of communion would be a beautiful physical act of grace. Grace. God, all of us that are striving, all of us that feel far from you, all of us that feel condemned, I pray that we would throw ourselves at the feet of Christ and experience the grace that comes through the work of Jesus on the cross. Thank you for this day. And thank you for grace. If God is using this ministry in your life, we would love to hear from you. Email us at mystory@ourcitychurch.org. For more information about the church, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.